Hey, folks, welcome back to another episode of Straight Shot Health Talk. This is your host, Dr. Kevin Kukara, with my fabulous guests, Dr. Sharna Prasad, Dr. of Physical Therapy, and Dr. Lance McQuillan, um, Doctor of Family Medicine, Family Specialty, you know, the, the whole primary thing and prevent, you know, that you guys are not specialists is kind of flawed because absolutely primary care is a specialty. Great to have you back on today. Um, before we begin, is there any little insights that you want to give to the to the listeners out there, or words of wisdom, or little greetings? Oh goodness gracious! The, the world is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, there's a pandemic outside, and so everyone's hurting, everyone's scared, and that's okay. And the sun is out. And there is hope, and we are going to change the world. We're ready to change the world. Yeah, I was going to add, it's getting warmer in Oregon, so so the you know the the pandemic attire has gone from sweatpants to shorts, at least in our house. So it's kind of <laughs> kind of a nice thing to do. Um, but but let's talk about uh, this idea, and it's something that I have talked about with Sharna before. I don't think I've ever talked to you about this, uh, Lance, but it's what I call empowering versus entrapping therapies and their role within pain care. So for those of you guys out there, is um, there's two broad spectrums when we're kind of looking at clinical treatments that you can do. I kind of dive them into the things that are done to someone, uh, the looking, cutting, poking, and drugging. And then there's things that are done with or done by the individual. And those are what we would typically call active modalities. So exercise would be an active modality. Um, manipulation would be a passive modality. Uh, cognitive behavioral therapies tend to be more of an active modality, something that requires engagement upon the individual for which the before any sort of therapeutic efficacy can be obtained, right? If you don't have buy-in, you don't have somebody doing it, then it won't work. Passive modalities, we can you kind of do it and doesn't necessarily require a lot of engagement or activity in the individual. So, Sharn, I'm going to have you lead off here. You know, what is, wh where is this idea of empowering and entrapping therapies? How do you see it in, in PT practice? And how has your practice changed with incorporating kind of modern pain care into that? Um, first of all, I, I've always used the term active and passive until you introduced it to me about the entrapment and empowering. And that has changed my way of, you know, framing some of the practices because um, it, it becomes so meaningful that the entrapment is that the patient is passively laying there and you're doing things to them. Um, and the active part becomes very like, what is the patient? How is the patient actively engaged with it? And um, it, it just it just changes the whole perspective. So I, I like to use examples, and I can't remember where I've used these examples. But I had a patient come in to me and say that um, I had neck pain uh, four years ago, and I had twenty sessions of therapy, and the therapist fixed my neck. She's an elderly woman, and um, I'm here to get my neck fixed. And I said, well. You know, we had a we, we had a good therapeutic alliance. We had a good conversation before that. And I said, well, you know, um, I don't do fixing, but I there's a lot we can do and we can change your, your, your pain. I have a feeling is going you're not going to need more than three or four sessions of therapy and you will be OK, is my guess. And uh, but she was very upset that what do you mean you're not going to fix me? They, they worked on my neck and they fixed it. So I said, you know what? I have other colleagues who are um, big on manual therapy. I'm happy to refer you to them if that's what you want. But she and I had connected. So she said, no, I don't want to do it. Three sessions later, 
she has no neck pain. She understood pain. She understood the stressors that were in her life. And she's now we're working on her lower extremity because she wants to be able to get on the floor and get up in her yard. That's her goal. So that's a huge piece that we are we're doing this entrapment and physical therapy is very famous for it because we are big manual therapists. We are we have magic fingers. We fix people and therapists get so much it's their dopamine. It's they get that reward that by me doing this, my patients got better. And um and I have kind of gone to that place that I don't take credit for you getting better because I don't take responsibility for you not getting better. I am your coach. I am just here to guide you. Because if I, I keep taking responsibility, if you're not getting better, then I'm going to get burned out. And I don't want this praise, this, you know, that you, you're the one who's doing all the work. So the ball is in your court. So take it and run and I'll guide you through it. So. Ooh, so much to unpack there, but before we get derailed, I'm going to return it over to Lance and, um, what do you see when it comes to this, like the, the passive versus active or entrapment? And and I guess with, with entrapment, just to sort of expand that, um, and the reason I, I use that term is because when you've sort of externalized control, what you've now done is put the locus of, of, of responsibility and control upon the person who's delivering that care. And so we're in many ways, we teach people that if you have this, I'm going to come in and I'm going to do a trigger point injection on you. And so when there's a recurrence of symptoms, which there often will, because pain, obviously, we will have it throughout the spectrum of life. What we've now, in many ways, done is encourage people to say, well, you, there's nothing you can do. Come to me, and I will fix, as Sharna says. So now we've even trapped these people to us. And um, it's not just you know physical therapists, obviously. Almost every clinical specialty has some way that they can entrap somebody to them. So, I, But I, I would love to hear your perspectives as a primary care specialist. Where How do you see this, or do you see it happening, or... You know, you know, is there a difference? How 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 do you see passive modalities in that kind of primary care environment? Yeah, uh, great question. I think um, I I struggle a, a little bit, quite frankly. I, I, the concept I agree completely with that um, that sense of empowerment. You know, we want people to feel empowered. We want people to be independent agents who don't, you know, need us. And that's sort of the, uh, what I, what my goal is in primary care is to keep you away from me. <laughs> it's interesting. I saw a dentist the other week who's a, I think a for-profit practice and customer service was outstanding. And then at the end, I got a list of procedures that I needed. And I, for the life of me, couldn't tell which ones I actually needed. And so I had to go talk to a, a dentist friend and say, can you just give it to me straight? Like, what do I actually need? So the, the, the for-profit kind of mindset can be tricky. And so the definitely clinics that make a profit <laughs> by doing injections or by doing things, uh, that's, a, that's a major problem. Uh, beyond just the patient's experience and the patient's uh, belief and understanding. I guess I, I completely agree with the notion that you want the patient to be empowered and you don't want to entrap them consciously or unconsciously into believing that they need Dr. X or therapist X for this thing. On the other hand, um, pragmatically, 
if where I struggle is that if the goal is to make the patient feel more safe, I have observed that sometimes a clinician like Sharna, <laughs> you know, laying her hands on the patient using language of safety, like, oh yeah, you know, you're your shoulder works really well and you know the the muscles are just relaxing or whatever you know uh that that can help the patient feel more safe and so i do think that there are therapeutic modalities that um even though there may be a component of entrapment i i think that that is the lesser of two evils and i think that ultimately the the goal should be making the patient or helping the patient feel safe because i think that's ultimately the uh you know the the treatment for pain and so i i think that um i'm not a purist in terms of active versus passive modalities i i i do like to be thoughtful about where i send my patients to as i illustrated earlier i like to send my patients to therapists who uh use who understand pain uh, and um, understand what they're doing with the patient isn't fixing the patient or something the patient quote unquote needs, but rather what they're doing may be helping the patient feel more safe. Um, so, and uh, that that's where I fall. So I, I still use physical therapy. I, I still use I send people to OMT. I even send people to chiropractors sometimes if if it's a chiropractor who, you know, uh, uses uh, good language, uh, acupuncture, things like that, uh, things that help the patient feel more safe. I do worry um, about, uh, yeah, and I, I definitely talk to, before I send a patient to a, uh, one of my colleagues, I do talk to them about, you know, the goal here should be uh, that you don't need to see them. And if, if, if a clinician is talking to you about needing to come in regularly, then there may be an issue there. Uh, does that no, make it, sense? It, it, it does. And um, I, I'm, I'm hearing you, the, what you're talking, and although I'm, I'm thinking a lot about framing. And, and, okay, sp and specifically, so if we're going to move in the manual realm a little bit, so I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a DO, so I'm an osteopathic physician. I actually took electives in, in lots of sorts of manual techniques. People don't know that. Um, and there's they a way, <laughs> well, and, and there's options, because one thing we don't want to ever do is that if you're in a modern pain practice, that you somehow are never touching your patients, because that is not true, right? We know... And if we're using this, again, cross-spectrum, if we're going from, from the onset of an episode of pain all the way down to where it's a persistent episode, so we're cute to chronic or however we're going to frame that, the power of touch is, is profound and the power of safe touch. So as a physician, we may not even consider this as a therapeutic modality, but your exam is a therapeutic modality. If you've read the chart and you're like, I know what this is, you still are doing a full physical exam. That exam is not for you. It's for your patient. So that they feel validated and then they can feel, feel safe again. And I guess what, what – because what I was hearing you were talking about touch, you know, um, and I get, I've gotten a lot of flack on this. Well, Dr. Carl, he hates manual medicine and blah, blah, blah. He's awful, awful. And it really is it's the framing because there's so many of these manual techniques that you can do in a pain or fashion 
where you're no longer emphasizing the fixing part, but instead you're emphasizing the safety part. So uh, muscle energy being one, right? So, or even just deep tissue. So if you're touching somebody and then you're actually moving in with, you know, moving into the muscle group and you're saying, hey, I want you to relax as I do this. Tell me what you're feeling, right? So now we're using a similar type of manual therapy, but we're framing it in a different way in which we're not, we're not doing this kind of entrapment fix thing. Um, and so that's first one is, is the framing. One thing I would push on a little bit is there are, there are definitely therapies that when we look at the data, because we're never, ever forgetting data, and, and particularly the way I look at it is the more invasive, the more invasive the therapeutic modality, the more data we need to support it, right? Because we know there's the direct effect and we know there's the indirect effects. Typically, those will be described as, you know, placebo effects, right? What the, how you frame it, the language that's used, the, the confidence of the, of the clinician, the expectations of the recipient, all of that plays a role in that experience. And um, so when I'm thinking about like passive modalities, there's definitely lower risk ones and there's higher risk ones. But I also want to know, well, where is their primary efficacy coming from? And there's a lot of things that we're doing passively that the efficacy is solely from those indirect effects. And that's, so when I, when I, when I look at that stuff, that's when I'm starting going, okay, what am I doing if I was referring to somebody who's doing that versus what could I be doing in my own clinical practice to sort of emphasize those indirect facts in the same way? Does that sort of make sense? Like, I don't want to call any specific type of I'm sure I can do an episode on the future, but, but I don't want to piss too many people off. I do, I'm very good at pissing people off and I don't want to devalue <laughs> anybody, but you got to be able to, you know, you, you have to be able to look at the data for your own clinical group, like who you are, the stuff that you actually do. And you have to be willing to look at it critically. And I, you know, and I've, I, I've spoken more about this probably in the last year than I've ever spoken bef- about it before, but that was the, the break point for me as an interventional pain specialist, is being able to look at my data and to stop saying what you will typically see in interventional pains. I know the data says that we do too many injections, but all my injections work and they're perfect. It's like total BS. Unless you're tracking it, unless you're, you know, you're blinded to the results, it's not true. So, and there's a lot of clinical practices that I, that, um, that I do think need to be a little bit more accepting of what the data actually says in being willing then to align their practice with data-driven care rather than aligning their practice with anecdotal in, uh, in contrast to that data care, which happens quite a bit. So that's my little diatribe there to kind of, kind of, kind of move all over the place when it comes to yeah. those framing. I, I agree. And I, you know, I, I worry about sort of belief-based medicine you know, versus evidence-based medicine. I think you know, this starts getting into the realm of the art of medicine. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and a patient decides to come and see me as a clinician, and what are things that I can do to enhance the therapeutic experience of that patient? And the the reality is that uh, patients have uh, patients live out in the world, and they already have oftentimes trusted uh, trusting relationships with other types of clinicians. So, the patient that popped into my mind was while you're talking was a gentleman in his late seventies with uh, who isn't, doesn't experience chronic pain, but he came in for his Medicare wellness visit. I'll talk about the data behind those in a bit. Um, (laughs) 
and so we did our his medicare wellness was a he was experiencing i think it was back pain and he's a very much type a individual and um and uh you know so i did my exam and and it was really reassuring and so you know, I, I dug a little bit deeper to try to understand. And it turns out that when he was in high school, he fell off a tractor and, and uh, injured his back. And that ended his running career. He was, a, you know, a high school athlete. And so it's this incident where he fell off a tractor and hurt his back completely changed his identity. So there was a, a little nugget there. Fast forward, he uh, you know, goes through life. He has some tragedies in life and then comes to see me for his Medicare wellness visit. For the most part, he is a highly functional, you know, doesn't experience pain that he talks to me about, but he has back pain now. And, and I tell him that he's safe. And, and then he says, um, can you talk to my chiropractor? Uh, you know, and cause I have a chiropractor who I see, uh, you know, once or twice a year. And, um, and so I called the chiropractor and the chiropractor was shockingly woke. Mm. <laughs> Sorry. I have to apologize to my sister for my young sister for saying that word, but he, he, he totally got it. He's like, Oh yeah. You know, Mr. So-and-so he, you know, he, he, he he's, his body is fine. And I, I just do some, you know, really low risk stuff when, when he's struggling and, you know, just to get him out on his way. And, and, and so we talked about, you know, the reassuring exam and we were both in agreement and how safe this gentleman's exam was. And, and if the gentleman continued to experience pain and sought care with his chiropractor, really it was going to be about reinforcing that message of safety. And, and so I, that was sort of a, a really uh, reaffirming experience to me that, uh, you know, um, even <laughs> so, some of those other modalities, they can add to the therapeutic uh, uh, effect of the patient positively, as long as everything's framed appropriately. So I, I think I com pretty much completely agree with what you're saying. Um, and the framing is what really matters. And I, I'm nervous to send patients out to clinicians who do things when I don't know what that clinician does, or I don't know what that clinician's mindset is. Um, yeah, I'm going to stop talking. Uh, so what you said, Lance, is um, the, the, it's the patient's belief system and the, what, you, what you believe in, and also what the chiropractor believes in, as well as the evidence that goes with it. So we are always I mean, I, I feel like we are at, at every given time, we've got the evidence, but we're also looking at the belief system at both times and saying, you know, at this stage, even though the evidence is saying blah, 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 that manual therapy is, but at this stage, this is reassuring for the patient. And it's absolutely okay to send the patient to the chiropractor who has the uh, understanding of pain and is not going to give him all kinds of scary crap that I'm adjusting your spine and, you know, re putting the facet joint in place and whatnot. We um, tell our patients. And the, the other point I had was that um, there are times that we, I have patients who are extremely, um, their you know, um, sympathetic system is so fired up that, yes, that time, touching them is 
the best way to increase their safety at that moment. And so do I call that entrapment at that time? No, it's still empowerment because of what I'm, the words I'm using is the empowerment part, even though I am touching them safely. So I'm using manual techniques, but I'm using the words of empowerment that your body is very, um, you're ramped up right now. All we're doing is, engaging the parasympathetic and, and explain that to them that you know that rest and digest is needed and i'm just doing this just to calm it down so that you feel this is the sensation you want to feel but you can also get that by uh, mindfulness and meditation and here are some apps that you can get and you can use a hot fact for yourself if your body feels good but you're reducing that sensory input so that's where i am with that yeah so I, I think, brilliant, I, I, exactly. I think what you just illustrated is why, you know, I think I sometimes will send patients to therapists, you know, and, and even though there was that uh, landmark study out of England a few years back that showed the impact of physical therapy versus simply walking, <laughs> um, you know, that the outcomes were the same. I still come across patients who, you know, so maybe 80% of the patients with acute back pain, once I dig into their situation, understand the situation, maybe 80% of them, I can say, hey, just, just, you know, schedule 30 minutes for a walk every day for the next two weeks, and then give me a call, let me know how you're doing. But there are going to be those patients who I need, you know, who I, I feel they may benefit from Sharna's therapeutic touch or Dr. So-and-so's therapeutic touch. And because what you're doing is, you know, you're giving them permission to feel safe. And, and, um, and I fully admit that that's not evidence-based medicine in the strictest sense, but it is, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, part of the art of medicine, I guess. Well, and I would say is we have evolving evidence there, um, and, and, and I'm, this has been a long time since I looked at it, but I know that's where like start back was coming in, where you're trying to do these screeners, and I'm not sure if that necessarily panned out completely. But um, from from my standpoint, it really fits in from a pain role, and I and I would love someone who's an academic to start doing studies there because you know the vast majority of patients are just all they need is reassurance. Am I going to be okay? Okay, I'm great. But intervention. We know so like there's there's two screening questions that have been when have been associated with worsening outcomes. One of us is are you scared to move because of pain, right? So fear of movement. We know that one asked early in an acute period of time. If someone says yes, that's a risk factor. And the second one is do you expect to get better? Again, the study that I, that was came out of workers' comp and was within two days of injury. And if people said you know yes, I'm scared of movement and I'm yes you know I'm scared of uh, I don't like, think I'm going to get better. Those are high-risk patients, you know, six months, a year down of, of high risk of disability and continuing pain. So um, I think being able to use that and then you're like, okay, well, what, using that kind of screening process, if this is a, if this is a, a client who is, has such fear, then that's why we have these other modalities is and you, you know, move them into physical therapy, not because the physical therapist fixes them, but help, you know, they help them to feel confident and safe and comfortable in their bodies again. And I think that makes a lot of sense. And again, that it's not complete. We don't have the data there yet, but it, from a clinical standpoint, we go, it sort of makes sense. It's aligned with the data that we have. We know that there are studies in, that are in being worked on right now. And then you think about, well, okay, what are the risks? Pretty low. 
from from that. Is there cost to the health care? Yes, but then we have to also balance that against, well, if we don't do anything and we're completely evidence-based and we just say, well, nothing works, so you just got to go off in the other realm, and then they come back six months later and they have persistent back pain, I guarantee that's going to cost a lot more. So anyway, I, I, I like what you're doing. I think that makes a lot of sense, but of course I'm heavily biased because... Uh, well, well you know. I guess I'm biased there too. But Lance, just to comment on walking versus physical therapy, I have always believed in the fact that we need to, uh, it's everybody's, movement is everybody's responsibility. It's not just the PT's responsibility to recommend movement to our patients. So the fact that you're recommending that, that's, that, that's you know it's every everyone's responsibility it's the dietitian's responsibility it's the physicians it's the nurses that we need to walk and the one thing i i, I don't uh, tell people to walk for 20 minutes 30 minutes but i what i ask them what is safe for you to walk at one given time and they say well i can walk for five minutes in my house because it's raining outside i don't like to go out i was like okay five minutes so the recommendation is 150 minutes a week uh, for us do you see yourself getting to that well not right now but i can see myself getting to that in three weeks so it's okay five minutes do you think you can do that two times a day or maybe three times a day it was like i think i can do it four times a day i think four might be too much let's go to three for now like, you sure? I, I can do it for four times. Like, okay, we'll do it for four times and see. So you're kind of playing that game. It's like you, you're on their side that maybe you're doing too much, but at the same time, you're kind of supporting them. So let them decide that this is what I want to do. And it's like, and how many times a week do you want to do it? I said, I think I can do it seven times a week. I said, that's too much because you want a couple of slack days. So what if you don't get to it? You want to feel, so it's like, no, I think I can do seven. Like, Let's do five. That's a more reasonable, you know, attainable goal so you're not setting them up for failure but you're giving them that opportunity that space to do it and then they come back and say hey you know what i did it seven days a week <laughs> so it's that feeling of accomplishment after that and then the other word i use which i love is stop using the word should so even though we're doing this and saying you should be doing this there's no should so replace that with choose I choose to take a day off. I choose to spend that day with my kids and just hang out. And that's a priority. That's your value. Don't don't beat yourself up. So that that helps them um, understand the value of movement. But at the same time, it's a value based movement. You know. Anyway, love that it. Was my spiel there. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's a good place to end. Um, unless you got, do you guys anything else that you would like to add when it comes to empowering versus entrapping therapies in this idea of sort of facilitating care versus fixing people? I just wanted to say that what Sharna said at the end there with the word should, you know, that should be an episode. <laughs> Sorry. That, that could be an episode in and of itself. Just uh, we, we give patients lists of things that they should do and that you know, may have the unintended impact of uh, increasing uh, senses of shame or um, senses of uh, inadequacy or things like that. And so I think we have to be a little bit careful about how we dole out our recommendations. If you can hear what sounds like an earthquake, I apologize. <laughs> I have an eight-year-old who's upstairs playing with something. So I'm going to mute myself. I was getting a little worried there, actually. I was like, oh, my gosh. We're going to lose Lance to the earthquake. The, the, the Pacific Northwest is going to crumble into the ocean. But 
Well, I'll, 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 um, I'm just going to tag on to that and say we will definitely do the should episode. We should do a should episode, and uh, I, I'll bring you guys back for that one we for sure. We choose to do we a should We choose to episode. do the should episode. But, um, Sean, any last or final words here before I no, end the episode? I, I think I think we covered it all. That, you know, if we, if we can just change in ourselves the should that we have to do, I should exercise, I should eat healthy, I should do this. Uh, I think when we start changing, it's that Mahatma Gandhi code, be the change you wish to see. So I have eliminated the word should from my life completely. Uh, there is no shitting in my life. No shitting. No shitting. All right. Well, we're going to hold do a whole episode. We're going to so we're going to put a lot of should in your life, at least in that episode. So everybody else out there, thanks for joining us today. This is Dr. Kevin Gukar with my fabulous guest, Dr. Sharna Prasad and Dr. Lance McQuillan. We were talking again about the ideas of between empowering versus entrapping care. If you are an individual, think about that. Is this care something that is going that you can control? and carries you towards the future, or is it something that maybe is entrapping you to an external person? And if you're a clinician, think about that. What Are you tying your client or patient to you with your care, or are you empowering them to pursue the life that they want? And with that, we'll end the episode here. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Straight Shot Health Talk, and stay well until next time. Take care.